Welcome to the Totally Transformed Podcast. My name is Lance Borden, and I am here with Dr. Connie Borden, who is my mom and a Christian psychologist. And uh, we are located in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, if you're listening to us for the first time. And uh, last week, we were separated from one another. We did a little remote podcast. We did. But now we're back together. We are. Together it's so again. nice to be together again. We actually just had some ice cream. Together. <laughs> <laughs> we like Brahms here. If, you, yes. uh, if you're from the South, you might know of Brahms. But uh, their chocolate chip ice cream is my very favorite. And I kind of grew up on it. So uh, it's, a, uh, it's a comfort food for me. It's a nostalgic food for me. And when I get the chance to have one, like I did today, I had some extra, few extra minutes. So I stopped quick and got a little chocolate chip shake. And you brought me one. And I brought you that one. That was so nice. Did you, did I ever tell you that one of the uh, drawing reasons, except, you know, we believe we walk in God's will, but one of the exciting things about coming back to Texas was that I could have Brahms ice cream and malts. That, and that is a draw. Yeah, because they don't have them on the East Coast or the West Coast. Right. I'm not, I think they're just Central South. Yeah, right? I, yeah. I, you can correct sure. me out there if I'm wrong, but I think they're only in Texas and Oklahoma. Maybe they leak over into Arkansas or Louisiana, not sure. But anyway, um, so we're continuing this week our series that we started last week on the rage of self-pity, this being part two of that and uh, I was re-listening to some of last week's show, and I thought it was just thought you did a great job identifying the rage of self-pity that when it might exist in us. Yes. And so uh, we're going to continue that this week. So go ahead. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I think one thing that you said that probably bears repeating is that when you say the title "rage of self-pity," rage is understandable, as we described last week or explained. It's a very extreme anger, but the self-pity is usually not so obvious because, again, like we said last week, we don't sit around licking our wounds and saying, oh, woe is me. I mean, most Christians don't or shouldn't, or they recognize that as being uh, not something they want to do. But when you put it in terms like you have this inner record that says, I didn't deserve that. That shouldn't happen to me. I I am... Um, you know, beyond that, or especially as a child, if you're sexually, physically, or verbally abused, that's a correct statement. Nobody deserves that. But unfortunately, that can evolve into where an entitlement almost that we see in people today that they compare themselves with other people and they're mad at God. And sometimes they're out of control as to the things that happen to them, particularly if people reject them through divorce or, again, abuse, uh, it's hard not to feel like you don't deserve it. And I, I don't think people do. I don't think this is God's plan for people to love them, not love them well. In fact, that's what causes rejection when we don't communicate love. And it's something to think about even if we're not, if we're operating in healthy families, Love, expressing your love by physical affection, verbal affection, uh, the five love languages, if you want to look at those, that's the bu- a book, five love languages, you know, do you have, do you need quality time? Do you like gifts? Do you like um, service? And there's two more that I probably can't say off the top of my head. But there's touch, what, I think is touch, one. yeah, touch is another one. But there's ways we express our love. And if you feel love, you should express it. 
Um, If you're not from a loving home that did not express love as a child, you might need to work on that as a parent um, because you tend to follow the patterns of what you witnessed. If you never saw your mother or father kissing or hugging or being affectionate, you didn't say I love you very often, you might want to develop that because you know, sometimes we think, well, they know, our kids know we love them. We provide food for them and a house and we take them to school and stuff like that. Well, you know, that's not true. You know, that's acts of service. Did I say that one? That's another one, acts of service. So if that's what you're depending on and you never express it, then sometimes it might be missed and you don't want your children to feel that they're not getting the love they need in the way they needed it at the time they needed it from whom they needed it, which is our a working definition of rejection, because the key with this rage of self-pity is you're wounded. You feel rejected. And when you feel rejected, as we said, you're hurt, then you're angry, then you're bitter, then you're resentful, then bitter, then rebellious, and then a rage. It really is a progression of harbor, H-A-R-B-R, like we said last week. And I just want to reiterate right now, um, if your children or anybody is hurt, or if they're angry, because usually you see the outworking of anger, even if you don't have stuffed anger, before you see what you did to hurt somebody. So it's a really good idea to ask someone that's angry at you, or that you've angered, how have I hurt you? Or, or, um, you know, is there a hurt involved in our interaction that I might not be be aware of? Because usually that will escalate into anger. Now, let me talk about the person, your individual self. You don't have to let it escalate into anger because we have the principle of confession. Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So a lot of people come into my office and they go, well, what, I'm just supposed to confess it and the anger is going to go away? No, it can be a process depending on how egregious the offense was or how many times you've been hurt by one person or many people. But the fact is you're not containing it. You're not stuffing it. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You're agreeing with God that there's something inside of your heart that is the fruit of the flesh, rather the fruit of the the spirit. And it may take a while. As you confess that, that's why we go through a timeline and confess anger about all rejecting and wounding uh, traumas that people can remember. We confess the emotion, if it's anger or resentment, bitterness, whatever it is. We forgive the people and we forgive ourselves. So it's a great process. And in time, when you do that, you know, between your head and your heart is your mouth. So if you have a temptation to be angry or even a good reason because someone did something that was rejecting, you can let that go down in your heart and distill there and turn into those other uh, graduations of emotion that I just said, hurt, anger, resentment, bitterness, rage, or you can get it out of your heart, acknowledge it. If you, you can fix what you recognize, if you're honest before God and potentially another person, that's why that scripture says, if you confess your sins one to another, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed, then it's not going to stay there. And your mouth and your thoughts have something to do with what you're going to do to process that. Uh, unfortunately, people that aren't Christians, I mean, think about it. This is why we see it so much in the world. 
They're not following the guidelines of the word. They're not saved. They haven't been forgiven and loved first while we were yet sinners. So if they come into the world and they don't have parents or relatives that exemplify that, it's hard to not grow very bitter and raging. What might that look like, though? I think for me that's hard to process or understand maybe, um, and maybe others out there share that, for you know, because I— you know, grew up with the understanding, which is Proverbs sixteen thirty two, um, which says, "Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city." And that's the English Standard Version. Now, the New International Version says, "Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self control than one who takes a city." So, obviously, what this is—it's not saying don't ever be angry, right? Right. It's but it's saying be patient, be slow to anger, have self-control. And so what do you think that might look like so that we don't turn into someone that is always stuffing our anger? How do we, in a healthy way, express our anger um, without, you know, going over into, you know, sin or, or anger that's out of control or rage or hurting someone else or ourselves in that expression? Well, I think what you're describing there, first of all, is not immaturity. We can have immature children or immature adults, but we add to our faith character and our character knowledge. So we're growing in character all the time on how to contain our emotions. But I think it's important that you understand the difference between a reaction and a response. A reaction, you have more emotion than the situation calls for, and you're not handling it very well. A response, you have emotion, but you're handling it well. So the rage of self-pity is the best example I can say is like if you don't have a wound on your arm and you stick a knife in it, it's going to hurt. But if you have a wound there and you stick a knife in it, it's really going to hurt. That's like inner wounds that we haven't let heal through confession, forgiveness, healing, breaking of strongholds. And so somebody does something, if you're instantly angry, the instance of it being instant, that you don't even think you're either angry immediately or you just can't help it, I call that a stronghold. I call that when you operate that way, it's like if you have a pain that doesn't go away, you might have something wrong physically. If you have reactions that are uncontrollable, I think that's an indication that you have wounding or, or need inner healing or need to look at that. What is it that pushes my buttons? You know, we all have our pet peeves type thing. But if you are instantly angry, now, if you're instantly angry and you recognize it, that's even better because at least you recognize it. And usually you're going to backpedal and confess it and say you're sorry to the people that potentially it was um, you bled on with the anger. But I think I think we put anger as the cardinal sin. And I think there's two things we don't recognize. It is an emotion, as we said last time, be angry, but don't let the sun go down in your anger. Things are going to make you angry. Then there's a righteous anger. Jesus was righteously angry. But then there's the anger that comes from being wounded. And because we can't see hurt and rejection and we can't see the buildup on the inside, when somebody treats us like somebody did all their life, like my father was very rejecting and very critical 
if somebody then treats me later on in life in those same patterns, and I haven't at least recognized that I was wounded, that might be a trigger for me to be reactionary. And it's okay if you're reactionary, as long as you realize that your words, like Pastor Robert uh, preached a dynamite sermon on Sunday, he said, you know, your words are like a flame or a fire that set the whole building on fire, what the analogy is in the word. Forest, I think. Forest, it's okay. Forest ablaze. So the bottom line is our words and how they're communicated. You know, the, the saying I've said before, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me is the biggest lie that ever came out of hell because Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but anger wounds the spirit. I believe, and that might be paraphrased a little bit. And then four goes on to talk about anger, angry, an angry expression. So there's no doubt about it. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. But we have to understand we're in a lifetime process of sanctification to develop the character of God to be more Christ-like. So one of the things we could talk about is what creates an automatic Christ-likeness so that your spirit's operating rather than your flesh. And I'll say what that is. I'll say one thing that comes to my mind. The more time you spend meditating on the Word, who is Jesus, the more time you spend in the presence of the Lord, you become like Him. And that should, at the very least, bring conviction when you're walking in the flesh so that you'll confess and ask forgiveness uh, for the person or forgive yourself that you offended. Um, And that is just automatic almost. And so if we get into a pattern where we don't spend, you know, I like to think of myself as what it says, I believe in Ephesians, and I'm praying without ceasing. Now that doesn't eliminate devotions, doesn't eliminate that you have a specific time in a, in a 24-hour period. But I do think you get into a pattern of just every time you have time, you're praying, you're praying in your prayer language, you're praying without ceasing, almost. You know, now when you're having a conversation, like I'm not praying right now because mm-hmm. we're on the radio. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? Podcast. Yeah, podcast. So, sorry, I do a radio show too. So, podcast. And the bottom line is that I think the more he's with us, the more we're like him, the more we acknowledge that he's with us, the more we focus our attention on him, we become more like him. Those sanctifications, a lifetime process. It's also harder to sin when you're in the presence of the Lord. Right? Yeah. I so think when so. you're practicing his presence, which, you know, you can't, that's, it's hard to do that continuously. Although I think that's a good goal Yeah. to, to be in the presence of the Lord as much as possible throughout the day. Uh, you're making it. You're just making it that much harder for the enemy to get victory, or for you to succumb to temptation, um, whether that be, you know, getting angry, uh, or wounding some, you know, wounding someone else with your anger, or you know, some other kind of sin that you may um, be susceptible to. Proverbs fifteen one in the I've been reading the Passion translation. If you're not familiar with that, that's kind of a newer translation. I really like it. Um, it says, respond gently when you are confronted, and you'll diffuse the rage of another. Responding with sharp, cutting words will only make it worse. Don't you know that being angry can ruin the testimony of even the wisest of men? Now, that's, that's the interpretation of what I said a few minutes ago in the King James Version. But then you go down to verse 4, and it says, when you speak healing words, you offer others fruit from the tree of life. But unhealthy, negative words do nothing but crush their hopes. 
So we really do have to be careful about this. But I also want to give um, grace or mercy towards the fact that we are all born of the Adamic nature and things are frustrating. And I just think we have to be careful to, like I think I said last week, try to draw out someone's emotions if they're angry because they might be hurt. And if they're never able to express that, then they might keep stuffing it. And and that's what we're concerned about here because I think, again, the people that get uh, in a hotel room and blow 50 people away or whatever it was in Las Vegas that they don't even know have come from a fear-prone perspective. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. And they they were abused and wounded. And they were angry, 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 angry. They went through this mantra in their mind that I am angry and I also don't deserve it to the point that they took it out on people that don't deserve it because they were just out of their mind. You know, they, the world might put that as um, they, they lost their mind. Um, or, or you hear it often described as senseless violence. Yes, right? senseless violence. Or you might even get off because you were, there's a word I'm not coming about, you know, when you get off for being mentally ill, when you kill somebody. You get, uh, you mean um, when you're found as a, as a plea or as a, um, as something that someone claims is the reason why they did something and they're therefore, uh, they're not given the sentence that someone that was supposedly in their right mind Correct. would get. And since none of us, and hopefully maybe none of the people I'm talking to have ever got to the rage of murder, we don't know quite what happens to the mind at that point. But I do know this, and this is what I teach my clients, that there's only a few steps between calm and homicidal. Like calm is a number one, homicidal is number 10, like I think I said last time. And you can tell, you should be able to evaluate yourself if you start to get uh, a raised voice, if you're just losing your cool, if your heart's starting to beat, you know, there's good a- anger management um, steps, like we said last time, to don't let it escalate to a 10. But sometimes we don't have that, what do you want to say, presence of mind, something will just happen, especially with children, or even with people that we're with all the time, because we're more familiar with them. And they just do something and maybe, you know, there's four things that cause conflict. Pressure. Let's say you're under pressure and tired. The way you perceive something, you may perceive something is very annoying. So pressure, perception, uh, uh, preference, the way you prefer something to be done. Like if you prefer uh, for an expectation for something like the trash be taken out every day and it's never taken out after time, that might make you um, frustrated frustrated. and then there's uh, processing the way you process something people process things differently some people have a shorter fuse than other people and I I think that goes back to um, what I'm trying to say there's many ways to explain our basic emotion Um, John Urgel, who helped me in my early years, expressed it as being either fear-prone or anger-prone. He feels like you're born either fear-prone or anger-prone. Fear-prone people, he feels, have a greater capacity to develop a rage because they're more ingrown, they take things more personally, they're more sensitive, they're kind of just born that way. And, you know, there's a combination of temperament and chemistry and all that kind of stuff Another way to ex- that, that I explain, and I give every client a temperament test, 
if you're outward, you're either you're choleric, you're either choleric or you're sanguine, meaning you're more of a leader and you're more sociable and you're more out there in your emotions. If you're ingrown, you're either melancholy or phlegmatic. And I couple that with our motivational gifts. I give those tests together because as Christians, I feel like when you know those things about yourself and the positive and negative characteristics of each one, uh, you can get along better with yourself and other people. You understand what bugs you, you know, or triggers you. Uh, Motivational gifts like mercy and encouragement and service would go more along with the melancholy, phlegmatic, inward type. Um, But leadership administration, prophetic, where you see the truth. Some people get angry, maybe in a righteous way, because they see truth, because they have a gift of prophecy, and it just makes them upset that people are so far off the money. So those two gifts, and maybe some others, administration, prophetic, go more with the outward temperaments as motivational gifts, and then there's, there's, there's the motivational gifts that go with the inward tendency. So I think it's all part of how we're created, It's whether we control it. And as I just said a few minutes ago, and you agreed, it comes, I think, I think if you're just on your own independent, and you're never having the goal of the principles of the word, to not be angry, to be gentle, kind, compassionate, we're supposed to have, we are supposed to have those goals to pursue. We're supposed to be praying for those. When I give my clients the temperament test, I, it's divided into strengths and weaknesses. So I say, Jesus said, where we're weak, he'll make you strong. Study these weaknesses and ask the Lord to make you strong because every temperament has strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. One is not better. You were designed absolutely to be a leader, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and so therefore, God gave you gifts and temperament and personality, however you want to see that, say that, to go along with that um, so that you'll be the greatest leader, okay? But that also has weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And so just studying to show yourself approved, know, your, uh, to thy own, you know, know yourself is really important. I think doing an evaluation in the moment of yourself is key as well. Uh, like this very morning, um, I got frustrated with my family uh, we were just going through the morning doing different things, and I realized when I broke it down that I was actually frustrated about something else that didn't really, you know, it wasn't their faults. You know, it maybe had to do with them, but it was a, it was putting me on edge. This kind of other frustration, such that when things happened that maybe I could have handled more easily or sh- should have handled maybe without getting angry, um, I didn't, I didn't handle it well. And so I think if I could have stepped back and said, okay, this other thing is frustrating to me, process that and not allow that to be working under the surface, Yes. then I would have had more self-control, more patience to be able to process anything that might've been momentarily frustrating, but because it was built on top of another frustration is, you know, it kind of boiled over. I think you're exactly right. I'll concur with that. I have realized I don't operate well under pressure, for example. There's, there's something with me. So I have to, if I have something on my mind that has to be done and some other factors come in that interfere with it and that's on my mind and I haven't either given enough time for it or I have this unrealistic expectation that everybody, if you're a, a leader 
and something stands in your way to get something done or something you need to get done or want to get done, that's going to bother you. Some people are just laid back. They, mm-hmm. they don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't bother them as right. much. So the more things that you have on your mind, uh, definitely that's a great word, a self-evaluation. But I also think it's important that we um, accept the fact See, what, what is damaging that I see all the time, a lot of people don't regard anger as that it could be a sin. It's a sin when it's out of control. It's a sin when it's a rage. It's a sin when words are destructive. And there's a lot of these, what I call subtle but powerful sins going on in our relationships and family. I mean, we recognize murder and adultery, but uh, even deception is a Ten Commandment. But I've had clients that come in and say, my husband lies all the time, doesn't think anything of it. Uh, and sometimes you can get into a pattern of anger. I don't worry about people like what you just said, that you see it, even if you completely lose it, and you see it, and then you admit it to yourself. You can't fix what you don't recognize. Mm-hmm. You acknowledge it to the people. Look, I was reactionary. I was sharp, or I was impatient, or mm-hmm. whatever you were. And I'm sorry, and you ask the Lord to forgive you, I don't think any of that will be damaging. But it's the people that pretend, like we've said, that they aren't angry uh, when they are maybe behind closed doors, but nobody knows it. Or they don't recognize it because it's a stronghold and it's so frequent. I mean, I have people come in all the time that they live in just a state of you know, anger with the primary people they're in relationship with. Well, and there's a temptation. I, and I, I did have to go back and, and can, you know, repent, mm-hmm. uh, tell my daughter, I was sorry. I told, I think all of them at one point that yeah. I was sorry. Yeah. Including my wife. Um, and, but the temptation there was, I don't want to admit that I did something wrong there. Yeah. You know, I don't want to admit that, uh, if I admit that I went, you know, that I uh, got too angry or I didn't handle the situation well, then the point that I was making will be lost, yeah, right? Right. And so there's that temptation, that pride to the temptation to have pride stand in the way of admitting when we um, go over and above the angry emotion that is healthy and you know spew on others when that's just something we have to overcome to to humble ourselves and say you know what if if the people around me leave wounded as mm-hmm. a result of my anger or my frustration that's going to be a bad result it is right yeah. when i could just correct it now admit that i lost control and and have them forgive me and therefore um hopefully the wound doesn't stay because then they've processed it with me and they've forgiven me. Well, I mean, it won't stay because first of all, you're demonstrating true Christianity. We're not perfect, but we have a perfect heart. What's a perfect heart? When we miss it, we can acknowledge it. We can confess. We can forgive ourselves and other people and we're not holding offense. So you didn't leave that to be retained in them you demonstrated humility as a leader of your family. You demonstrated that you recognize that you can be frustrated like everybody. And when you are when in a way that could be destructive, then you don't just gloss over it. I mean, this is what they say about anger, which is always unhealthy. This will always make an unhealthy individual, an unhealthy couple, or an unhealthy family if you either spew it or you stuff it. Both of those begin with S. 
And the rage of self-pity is primarily related to stuffing it. It gets to a point of spewing it. But if you not spew it, but allow it and discuss it and acknowledge it when it happens and even allow emotions to be expressed... Uh, primarily, I think when you're training your children, I was never allowed to express anger, but my dad was very angry. I mean, I did I say last time, even when he spanked me, I wasn't allowed to cry. So therefore, I grew up going, <gasps> you know, I stuffed it all down inside. And he was very impatient and didn't want to hear me crying. Well, if you spank a child, a normal emotion is crying. That's that's almost abusive or was abusive. Um, so we have to realize that none of us like our way restricted, particularly if you're a goal-oriented person and you've got a lot going and a lot on your mind. People, events, and circumstances will impede your way. Kids will impede your way because they're just kids. They make mistakes. Okay, so then we go to the point of, all right, what is really most important? What, like you were saying about what was on my mind, I'm sure it was important, but it wasn't, you can have an overvision, I call it, that something out there is more important than how you relate to your children. And right. we have to really be careful about that, we right? Yep, yeah, absolutely. So, um, but, you know, something that helps me um, to know is that there were people angry in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, Moses struck the rock and he must have been really angry because he was kept from uh, going on into the promised land because mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, now you kind of wonder whether he was an angry prone person. He was definitely a leader. He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, if we wanted to, you know, read between the lines, which we so often do, I mean, I don't have any problem in getting revelation from the Holy Spirit on what it means when we see these different events, circumstances, and people in the Bible, because the Bible says love to you, love your husbands like Christ loved the church, but it doesn't necessarily tell you how. So we come back and Jimmy Evans teaches a whole seminar on how you can be more happily married. We teach a whole seminar on how you can heal if you're wounded because Jesus said, I've come to heal the broken heart and set at liberty those that are bound. How do you do that? Well, it doesn't say step one, two, and three, and we do. So when we see these people in the Bible, we're not uh, committing heresy. When we kind of read between the lines, when we see Peter denying Christ, uh, he was a pretty out there, uh, on the spur of the moment person with his words. I would say he was probably choleric or sanguine, probably choleric. And so therefore, when he got... um, attacked by the people and had to fess up that he knew Jesus, he denied him. Mm -hmm. I think he was angry that Jesus was taken away. I think he didn't understand it, even though Jesus tried to explain it, that, you know, you know, he was fearful. He was fearful. I think he was a fear prone person. And who knows what happened in his entire life. Take Saul with uh, David. I mean, he was very angry. I, I think if you describe the temperament of David and Saul, Saul would be more anger-prone. David would be more fear-prone. However, David stuffed and stuffed and stuffed something because he actually caused someone to be murdered eventually. So it's just interesting, not as a legal license to walk in the flesh, but to understand these great prophets and leaders in the Bible and people that we respect and look up to as the patriarchs of old and new. I mean, Judas 
betrayed Jesus, okay? We don't see any outburst of anger, but I feel like the uh, cycle of suicide is a root of rejection, a sense of rejection. You fear rejection and you reject yourself. If you don't love yourself, finally the enemy says to yourself, look, you don't love yourself, nobody loves you, you might as well just take yourself out, you're no good. So I think he couldn't handle the guilt and the shame uh, which it was a pretty big thing that he did. But l- literally, literally through the cross, he could have been c- convicted and forgiven mm-hmm. if he confessed it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he let it build and build and build. And th- the worst anger is to express anger toward yourself to kill yourself, mm-hmm. shoot yourself or whatever. He hung himself for what? 30 pieces of silver. So there we have it. I mean, I think those examples are in the Bible to... We walk so easily, in my opinion, in condemnation. Well, even Jesus, right? He got angry in the yeah. temple. Yeah. Turned over the tables of the money changers because he was rightfully frustrated with the misuse of God's house. Yes. Right? So there, right there is an example of healthy anger because we, Je- we know Jesus had no sin. Yeah. Right? And so... Um, you know, obviously it's okay to be angry. It's even okay to express that anger. Uh, and, and there is a right way to do that. And then there's a wrong way to do it. And hopefully you're in control of that or at least in aware of it. But even Jesus, this is something that is more applicable to me today, uh, even though we have many people materializing the gospel, I guess, you know, same principle. But he got angry at the Pharisees and Sadducees. And I call those the hypocritical Christians he said they uh, look white on the outside, but their hearts are evil. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a lot of Pharisaical, Sadduceical Christians these days. They go through the motions of being a Christian, but something is not quite right with their heart because eventually something happens that shows their true heart. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. Um, the root denotes the fruit. And um, so he actually took them on. I mean, you know, he called them a brood of vipers. Of course, Mm -hmm. they weren't very kind to him either. They said he was from Beelzebub, and, you know, they um, chastised him for healing people on the Sabbath day. They were legalist. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't have relationship. They had religion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Bible says we hold to a form of religion to deny the power thereof. I think that's rampant in the world today where people don't have an intimacy with Christ like we started this podcast about. He doesn't have an opportunity to change them progressively or maybe their heart was never transformed to begin with because i don't believe once saved always saved i believe really saved always saved which you'll know by the desire to do the right thing not that you're instantly justified when you're saved you're instantly glorified when you die but sanctification or becoming more christ-like is a long and a lifetime process and I think we have to understand that so we un- we don't reject ourselves when we miss it, but neither do we reject the idea that we're more like Christ today than yesterday, but not as much as tomorrow. It's progressive, and we want to please him. And if you're, if you're really saved and you made Jesus Lord, and you have the Holy Spirit in you as a, a convictor, you are going to know it when you miss it. And that's really a sign that you have a relationship, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you, if you expect yourself to be perfect, good luck. Right. You're going to reject yourself. Right. Okay. And so the Lord allows for that. The word says there's no condemnation to them that walk after the spirit. Satan is the author of condemnation, guilt, and shame. 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the author of conviction. And all we have to do, can, I, I define sin is, is not agreeing with God, right? right? And when you don't agree with God and God convicts you and then you change your heart and mind to agree with him, and then if you need to, like you just explained, say you're sorry just so damage is not extended, then I think you have a perfect state, though, that you can get out of the state again and you might have to get back into it, right? Not agreeing with God or... I would say, I think lots of times when we sin, we know God is right, but we still choose our own way. Yeah. Would be another way to say. And then some people uh, define sin as separation from God, which I think is also clear, because if David, like David in the psalm said, don't lift your Holy Spirit from me, I'm going to have a contrite heart. I agree with Nathan. I missed it. I committed adultery and murder. Will you forgive me? He was aware that the Godhead, and he named the God of the Holy Spirit, lifts if we regard iniquity in our heart and we don't repent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really serious. I mean, we've talked about that before. I feel like consciences get seared by repetitive sin that becomes strongholds and nobody brings it to people's attention and they don't bring it to their own attention. They're not examining their own heart. And that's when it can go into this rage and it can be really destructive. So I think we'll wrap it up there for this part of the series, and we're going to come back next time uh, to um, talk about the rage of self-pity some more. Um, But is there anything else that you want to end with for today? No, I think uh, those things are a lot to think about. I I think what I would like to leave with our listening audience in, in your suggestion is that these are the more subtle but powerful ways that Satan destroys. Uh, we have three things that you're either a survivor or you're walking just in success, as the world defines it, or you're significant. If you're wounded, you're going to go into anger and these sins and self-destruct and be a survivor by usually addictions, alcohol, drugs, pornography. If you're just in a success you judge your progress by how much money, how, what cars you drive, what house you have, how much fame you have, maybe. But if you're really significant, you're going to want the Lord to examine your heart, the Holy Spirit, and you're going to recognize, going to recognize what the Bible calls these little foxes that spoil the vine. And the more you go along with the Lord, you get away from committing the quote unquote ordinary sins. None of them are ordinary, but the known sins. You get away from that. You know, you you don't love the world anymore, but you kind of miss these subtle ones that can be just as destructive. And that's what I would say with people. The more deeper you get with the Lord or more deeper, is that right? The deeper, not more deeper, you get with the Lord, the more he's going to define some things that might not seem so big, but for you, they're a progression of growth right. in recognizing them. Right, and it's just as important that we conform yes. in those things yes. like we did when we were conforming with the quote-unquote bigger things when right. we were maybe first saved. And we're re- I think convicted. we're really blessed because it denotes that you're going into a deeper relationship with the Lord, and He is more interested in who we are Mm-hmm. than what we do. Well, it's continual sanctification. Yeah. Right? We want to be on that path of sanctification. So let's make that our prayer today. Okay. Lord, take us. Lord, we ask you to take us to the next place along that path of sanctification. Yes, Lord, Lord don't you, let us get stuck or 
you know, in one place along that path. Lord, don't let us get to the place where we think we've arrived, God, because we know that you always have more for us, that you're always refining us. You're always wanting to prune us. So we ask for that. We ask that you would cut away the things that are not of you, yes, Lord. Lord. Even like uh, mom, Dr. Connie was explaining describing that even when it seems like we might have overcome some of the quote-unquote bigger sins, Lord, we want you to cut away even the parts of our flesh that maybe are more invisible or hidden that keep us from being more like you and keep us from being able to have greater fellowship with you because that's what we want. We want to have clear, um, continual fellowship without hindrance uh, and to be more like you to influence the world. So we just pray and ask that you would take us there, help us especially to process the things that maybe have made us angry, that have maybe caused us to rage. Lord, help us to realize those so we can confess them, be forgiven, uh, even address the, even address others that we may have wounded along the way and confess to them and ask for their forgiveness so that you can come in and do a healing work in us and in our relationships and in those that we relate to. And, and, you know, Lord, I just heard you say a couple things. I heard the part of the verse that says, I will complete the work in you. I think what you're saying is you want us to recognize that this is your work. Our job is to yield and surrender when you convict us and not get on a performance orientation of a timeline. I also heard that we are vessels of honor in the house of the Lord. And Lord, what a privilege to be a vessel of honor because we are dealing with these things of our hearts and our emotions that you can flow through by the Holy Spirit to affect other people and to affect us. That's just phenomenal. And then I also heard the statement, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. That's what we want to hear. We want to hear uh, not that we were better than someone else or worse or not that we compared ourselves with other people or not what we have. We want to hear that what we did for the kingdom deserved the declaration at the end of this race. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your, is it rest or reward? Rest. Rest. So, Lord, I just thank you for those revelations. I pray those would minister also to the hearts of our listeners. And we thank you, Lord, that we can have that kind of interaction with you. The more we develop this type of relationship of intimacy with hearing your voice, my sheep hear my voice, you can reveal things for our edification and for the edification of those we minister to. That is fantastic. Thank you, Lord, for dying and rising again raising again so that we can have that privilege. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today on the Totally Transformed podcast. Again, we'll be back next week with the Rage of Self-Pity, continuing this topic. And uh, remember also that our Set Free Saturday seminar, our Healing and Freedom seminar, is September 21st, 2019 at the Hope Center in Plano, Texas. And if you want to learn more about that and register for that event, you can go to our website, totallytransformed.org, and you go to the events tab and find out more there, or you can click on the slider bar at the top that will 
advertise that seminar that's coming up. And you know, Lance, I want to just say about that, a lot of people can't get in for ministry or they don't know people that can minister or they don't know what to do. This is a day when you can define your hurts and your wounds, your strongholds. You can be ministered to with the group and understand the principles. You can be ministered to individually if you request individual prayer, but there's no pressure. There's nobody that's going to out you. But I would like to exhort people to tell family and friends, even people from out of the city of Dallas or the state of Texas, this is an opportunity. And it's really a good idea if you're going to come to the seminar, if you can, to read Save But Not Free, but we definitely don't require that. It's comprehensive in our teaching and understanding. You'll get a lot out of it. If you don't read the book, you'll just get more out of it if you do. And so Save But Not Free, you can get those principles, or you can listen to our podcast uh, that prepare you but the more you know the more you benefit right 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 all right thank you for joining us today on the totally transformed podcast come back next week when we will be continuing this series 